Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for coming out to our Monday Thursday service. Um, we're going to begin tonight, and what we're going to be doing is just walking through the final evening of Jesus before he was crucified. So we're going to spend some time um, at the table in the garden, and then we will just spend some time praying tonight, um, and then we will uh, take communion at the end of our service today. So if you don't mind um, to bow your heads, we will pray to open up this evening. Dear Heavenly Father, we're just so thankful that we get to come tonight together as your body to just remember, remember what you did um, in the garden, uh, just praying um, for what was to come, Lord. And we just pray that as you ask people to stay awake, that we can become those people, that we can just pray and, and remember your faithfulness through the, all of this, Lord. Um, so we're just thankful to be able to gather, and I just pray over the service and just ask that it speaks to those that are here tonight um, and to those watching online. So we are just grateful, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So it all began with John and Peter securing the upper room. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make the preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him. The teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The son of man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the son of man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. And Jesus answered, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. And then he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for so many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. There in that room, Jesus would wash his disciples' feet, explaining he had come to make them clean. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, 
drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. But Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet, for their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew one, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not every one was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. During this last supper, Jesus set apart the Passover bread and cup and reassigned or better perfected their meaning. The bread is his body. The cup is his blood. This meal would no longer primarily remind them of how God delivered them from their own guilt and sin against God. Then Jesus prayed for them, his friends, and for those who would come to know him through their testimony. He prayed that his father would make them one. And after praying, Jesus rose to his feet and asked his disciples to stand with him and to sing over their suspended, unfinished Passover meal. Jesus led them in the traditional Passover song, song Psalm 118 about how the stone the builders rejected had become the cornerstone and how the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. So now we will join as Jesus did that night. If you take your paper in Psalm 118, we are going to recite it together. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this. And it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, Join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. To pause and lead his disciples in a song like this, at this particular moment, shows the strength of Jesus' resolve to face his impending arrest and crucifixion. The gospel accounts tell us that he started that last supper overwhelmed with sorrow, and that later in Gethsemane, his sweat became like drops of blood. But in the middle of that tension, Jesus sang of the faithfulness of God. 
Think about that for a moment. One of the things Jesus did on the night he was betrayed was sing. And so when they finished singing, Jesus led his disciples out to the Mountain of Olives, to one of their regular meeting places, the Garden of Gethsemane. But Jesus didn't go there only to pray. He also went there to wait, because soon a line of torches snaked their way toward him through the darkness. This is what he had been waiting for. Matthew says in 26, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to the disciples and he found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, watch, pray, so that you do not fall into temptation. Because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and he prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them, and he went away once more, and he prayed a third time, saying the same thing. And then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. This is one of the most somber moments of the Passion narrative. The story of Jesus' suffering and death. Our Monday Thursday service brings us to Gethsemane, where the Gospels tell us Jesus prayed and his disciples fell asleep. There is something claustrophobic and unsettling about this part of the story. After coming to Jerusalem earlier in the Gospels, Jesus enters the Garden of Gethsemane, and then he chooses one particular spot in the garden, telling his disciples to sit elsewhere. But he goes into smaller and smaller spaces with less chance of escape. We can almost feel things closing in on him. And if we know the story beforehand, we know that there are already soldiers coming to the garden to arrest him. In Genesis, humankind lived in the Garden of Eden in bliss, and then the first sin exiled them from that garden. Here, at the other turning point in human history, Jesus comes back to a garden. Not because he has sinned, he hasn't, but in order to bear the sin which has kept humans from Eden and from the life lived in love and harmony with God. 
And that, I think, is why the garden feels so hostile and strange in this passage. It is no longer a joyful place for humans, but it's a place where we have to come and face our own failures, our selfishness, and violence. So right now we're going to take a minute or two, and we're, I'm just asking that in your seats you just pray over these things, some of your failures and your selfishness or violence that you're experiencing right now, um, and then we'll move on with our service. So as we started talking about the garden, I began to wonder what it would really be like. It's so easy to read these passages and think, I would be able to stay awake. How could they not have stayed awake on his final night? But I don't know if I could have. Am I awake now? Think of the ways that we turn away from God. We can even see this reenacted in the small betrayal of the disciples falling asleep while Jesus is struggling. As we go deeper in the garden tonight, we're going to continue to reflect and see where our hearts are as disciples tonight. That night, Jesus asked one thing of them, and they could not do it. The echoes of Adam and Eve are still in the garden. When the soldiers arrive, Peter will even draw a sword to keep them out as if claiming the role of the angel with the flaming blade, which Genesis says was set to the guard Eden. He has not understood who he is in this garden. But there is also the difficult, almost incredible act of Jesus in his prayer. The self-sacrifice, the self-denying obedience, which shows us the root of the atonement, not as I will, but as thou will. Jesus prays this. At the heart of the garden, one human offers their will to God, knowing how high the cost will be. Jesus offers his will to God and says, I trade my will for your will. Take a moment now to pray over these things. Let's pray not our will, but God's will in our lives.
as God, Christ is betrayed. As human, he is obedient. The whole drama of Jesus' purpose and his work is shown in the shadows of the garden. So let's pray for our obedience now. In these shadows is where everything begins to change because of what Jesus did. Coming to this garden tonight, we are confronted with our own shortcomings, the ways we have betrayed, and the ways we have turned away. But what is said in the garden has such a familiar sound with my Father, thy will, and into temptation. Jesus himself taught us how to pray. So now we're going to join him and watch and wait with him in the garden. And so if you wouldn't mind praying with me the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art art in heaven, heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as as we forgive those debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. So let's just take another moment to just be still in this garden, reflecting on these moments of Jesus, and just talk to him about what's on your heart tonight.
It's amazing to see what he chooses to spend his last moments as he goes to defeat death with death. He chose to worship and he chose to pray. Those were his priorities, worship and prayer. It can be confusing when he asks God to take this cup from him. But it's important to note that that moment in the garden is not about conflict. Jesus was not in conflict with his father in the garden. He had already praised and talked and sang about the goodness of his father. And then he came to him with mourning and prayer. It's not about conflict in the garden. It's not about conflict with us tonight either in the garden. That night in the garden, it was about love. This is the full, honest interchange of love in which the son lays before the father the true condition of God, reflecting humanity, caught now in the necessary work of bearing the utter pain and sorrow of the world. People might say, doesn't his prayer show that Jesus and the Father are on opposite sides? Not in that garden. They might say, doesn't it appear that Jesus wants to be released from his obligation, but knows that the Father wills it anyway? Not in that garden. What Jesus' prayer shows is the proper, right, natural reaction of any human being. And particularly the human being who completely reflected the life-giving God. To the dark forces of corruption and death, he prayed the will of God. It shows that Jesus went to that cross and he was not doing it out of a distorted death wish or a crazy suicide mission. One would expect from the life-restoring son of the life-giving father that it would be natural to resist death with every fiber of his being, but not in that garden, not our Jesus. It was all about love. His very prayer to be rescued from death displays not a resistance to the Father's will, but a resistance to the forces of evil which result in death. There is no conflict here in this garden, only the deepest affirmation of the Father's will in all its aspects. So in our garden tonight, we must ask ourselves, are we disunited with the Father? Are we praying desperately for the escape of everything that leads to death? Do we have the deepest affirmation of our Father's will in all of its aspects in our hearts? Tonight here in this garden, is everything about us all about his love? Take a moment to pray over these things and pray for unity with the Father.
Jesus knew the love of his Father, the will of his Father, and he knew the promise of glory that was coming. He knew the, the moment had come, and it was time to defeat death, and he had no doubt in his Father. And so now we ask tonight, is your God big enough? Big enough to come and take on the forces of evil and death by dying under their weight and power? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And so he came into the world. He came to his own people. He came to the place of fear and horror, shame and guilt, evil and darkness, and even death itself. But he came out of love, love for the Father and love for the world. And so can he find us like this? find us here like that tonight? Did we come here out of love, love for the Father and love for this world? Let's take a moment again to pray and just share the condition of your heart and the love for the Father. In the garden, the disciples didn't get it. First, they fell asleep, and then they made a poor attempt to defend Jesus. And then, even in a shocking and shaming personal memory, it tells us that one young man was grabbed by the tunic and left and ran away naked that night in the garden. And that says it all. Humankind, naked and ashamed in the garden, while the snake closes in for the kill. The Son of Man has arrived at the place where the problem began, but to take its full force upon himself. So again, how does Jesus find us today in the garden? Are we asleep? Are we in denial? Are we betraying him? Are we in conflict with him or one another? Are we trying to help Jesus do church in a specific way like Judas? Have we been falling into temptation? Are we weak in the flesh? 
Can we stay awake? We see the urgency, the perspective, and the instructions of Jesus on his last night with his disciples. What is he saying to us today? How does he find us? We say we will not be anxious or afraid, but is our posture like that of Jesus tonight? Does he find us deep in urgent prayer with our souls overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death? Or does he find us tonight even keeping watch until his return? Are we watching? Are we praying? so that we do not fall into temptation? Do we even know, do we even remember that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak? Or are we lukewarm, complacent, and asleep? I believe he is saying to us even today, look, the hour has come. Rise. Rise, let's go. The betrayer of the Lord is at work. He is still at work. Here he comes, and it is time for us to stay awake. It is time to stay awake. It is time to pray. It is time to know what is going on in our Father's kingdom and what he needs us to do. It is time for us to go to God in prayer and to lay down our lives and to take up the cross and to follow Jesus Christ. It is time for us to live out Jesus' prayer to the Father that we find in John. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus, we say now you find us awake here in the garden. And now we come to you with urgent prayers. I wonder what the prayers and the words you recited urgently that also took place that night that aren't recorded. Were you claiming and speaking out and calling on your Father with the promises that goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives? Were you saying that as you went to the cross? Were you saying the words that would be recorded? That there is no suffering worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed? Were you saying that light is greater than darkness and darkness does not even exist in it? Because you have given us all of the commands. You have given us the instructions. You have given us the inspiration. You have led the way. And you have given us all of the promises to declare. We are awake, and we are ready, and we are ready to rise. And so now we call upon you, Jesus, that all we have to offer is our hallelujah, 
but we want the Father's will to be done. We pray for this community, our Jerusalem. We pray that this next generation knows who you are. We pray for revival in our community. We pray for family members whose hearts need to be returned home to you. We pray that promise that light is greater than darkness and that the violence has to stop. We believe that goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. But we know the reality that so many people don't know that truth. So I pray that all the noise of society is just quieted down. And that people have silence with you. So that the truth of your goodness and mercy can speak to their hearts. I know that the promise that it's time to rise and stay awake for what you are doing was not just for that night in the garden, but it's for here now. It's for our time. You are coming back. And we need to stay awake and we need to be ready. We pray for everyone we know who needs healing physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. We don't come with just soft prayers. We pray like you asked us to pray, like you did in that garden on our knees, crying out to you. We believe in your promises. You are a good father, and we know the world needs you. Your work wasn't finished that night. You finished death. You, you rose from the grave. You've defeated it all. And then you sent us. If we have been asleep, we are sorry. If we have been lukewarm, we are sorry. Help us to find our joy again. Help us to find our unity again. Help us to find our urgency again. So we are overflowing for you. I praise you, Father. Help me to stay awake. Lord, we just come in our seats or on our knees or however we want to come tonight, Lord, to just say thank you. To say thank you that you went through everything that you, you went through to get to the cross so that we can live on the other side of the cross, Lord. We just are so grateful for everything that you've blessed us with, for being able to gather here freely, Lord, with no worry, but that we just get to be a people that love you and want to honor you in the best way we can. And so tonight, as we pray for the community and, and just our leaders in the community, Lord, I just want to lift up the leaders here, God. I just pray for Leonard as our pastor, Lord, that you continue to give him the words to share with us and to the heart to serve, Lord. I pray for our elders, 
I pray that as they lead us and shepherd us, God, that you just continue to work in their lives and that they are blessed beyond measure, Lord, because they pour so much into your house, and we just ask that we can just give a little back to them. We pray for Jerry as he leads the elders, Lord. We just pray a prayer of protection over him, God, as he just takes on so much with the church. And I'm just so thankful for him. God, I pray for Brian and for Amy on staff and myself, Lord, included in that, and that we just continue to live out our calling and that we're able to do those things well and that people see you through us in our work, God. And I just continue to ask for just mercy as we know it will never leave us. Because like the psalm says, Lord, I am confident that I will see your goodness in the land of the living. And I just pray that we can be a church that shows that goodness and people can say, wow, I see you here on earth, Lord, and we can just be that little slice of heaven for them. And so I pray for the people that are just next door or down the street or a few blocks over, God. I just pray that they feel us here, that they know we're here and that we are for them. We are not against them. And so I'm just thankful that we have this space and this place that we get to call our church home and that we get to be family together, God. It is something special. And I just love every moment, God, that you just have blessed us with and and the, the fruit that we are seeing, Lord, out of sometimes the valley that we have been in. And so we are just grateful and we offer just a prayer of thanksgiving for that. And so as we just continue through our night, Lord, we just ask that you just stay here with us and be present and just help us stay awake as we might end this evening, but then go into tomorrow and ultimately on to Sunday to celebrate. So we thank you. Amen. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to partake in communion. It's going to be a little bit different. So we're going to ask you to, to stand Come to the center, and then you can filter to either table. Um, There are bread bowls that have little pieces of bread in them. You can take that. We do have a few of the little prepackaged communion if you want to take that um, instead. And then there are little cups of juice. Um, But take it back to your seat, and then Amy will lead us into communion together. Yep, go ahead, Riley and Kendall, if you want to.
Father, bless this communion as we take and we eat in remembrance. May our hearts be eager, just like Peter's, and say, all of you, Father. Transform all of us, wash all of us tonight, not just our feet, but my head, my hands, all of it. All of you is exactly what you gave. And so here, as we take this and we remember, we say all of us, we are ready to stay awake. We are ready for this season that you have, knowing that you will guide us. You will be our strength. You are the light. You are the love. We praise you and we thank you. Amen. Well, we want to just thank you all so much for coming out on this Thursday evening to spend an hour with us um, and just praying and remembering. And we just ask that you go into the rest of your evening and through the day tomorrow just remembering where we were and where we're going. But the good news is the grave is empty, and so we get to live in that. Um, so just tomorrow, we'll be gathering again at 7 o'clock for our Good Friday service. Um, it will be a celebration of life for Jesus. So um, we hope you will join us um, as Ryan leads us in that. And then, of course, on Sunday morning, we'll meet at 9 a.m. here um, in the worship center. And then Josh will have a wonderful breakfast prepared for us downstairs afterwards. So you're invited. Your friends, family are invited as well. Um, so, yeah, we are just so thankful you guys came. If anyone is here that would like prayer specifically for anything, um, we're available. Pastor Leonard's here. Some of the elders are here. You know, don't leave tonight if you have something that you need or would like someone to pray with you about. So come find one of us. Yeah, thank you. And continue to join us this weekend with that urgency. That is the challenge we need to keep right now is to stay awake, not to come when it's convenient, but to run in here tomorrow and to run in here on Sunday. And let's carry the garden with us for the rest of tonight. Let's stay awake as much as we can, and we're called to pray. Let's pray. I just want to end with a blessing over everyone tonight. As Brittany said, we thank you for coming. We thank you for joining us in prayer. And we say to you and over you, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.